If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and then we'll go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, I will tell you this, that I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 6, but I'm not going to get there tonight. But I want it in your mind where I'm going, because when I give you my title, it'll make sense on where I'm going tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, using a dull axe requires great strength so sharpen the blade that's the value of wisdom it helps you succeed i'm telling you i know a lot of people that are trying to trying to chop down spiritual trees in their life with a dull axe head it's a lot of work then you go to second king chapter six starting at verse one and the sons of the prophets said unto elisha Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. It's too small. It's not big enough. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. Verse 3, and one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. Verse 4, so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. Now notice that the prophet, the man of God, had a problem to get the axe head to swim. But he never picked it up for the man that lost the axe head. It was the man that lost its responsibility to pick it up for himself. How many words have you heard in a church service and the man of God threw the solution into your situation that was drowning and it began to swim and the man of God said, pick it up. Pick it up. Verse, verse 7, therefore said he, take it up to thee and he put out his hand. And he took it. I'm going to teach. I'm going to do a lot of teaching tonight. But I want to talk to you on this topic. The progression of ineffectiveness. The progression of ineffect ineffectiveness. How do we get to a place where we're ineffective? Before we know it. We've all been there. Man, one moment we've got spiritual zeal for God. Then the next moment we don't want to do anything. We're just going through the motions of Christianity. How does it happen? How do we prevent it? How do we step into our divine role for God and to continue with passion and desire and hunger? So I'm going to teach you. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your anointing today. I need your power, God. Help me to break down your word the way that you've given it to me. Speak it to these great people. Help it to be beneficial and help them to grow. In Jesus' name. Someone shout in Jesus' name. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow me, I'm actually going to take you back to 2 Kings chapter 5. 
Because in order to understand 2 Kings chapter 6, you got to go through 2 Kings chapter 5. Where the great Syrian general Naaman came to Elisha to be healed of his leprosy. He expected to be treated like a great man when he showed up to meet with a prophet. He came with all the emblems of influence and power and a lot of money. Yet when he knocked on Elisha's door, the prophet didn't even heed or come to answer. He sent a messenger to Naaman. Naaman took the trouble to come to the home of Elisha, but Elisha refused to meet him personally. He sent a messenger. This was humbling to Naaman, and, and, and he's used to being honored. And who is this prophet to think that he can send a messenger to answer the door when I show up? Elisha's message was simple. For healing, he told Naaman when he finally came to the door, he said, you got to dip in the muddy Jordan seven times. And as far as the rivers go, the Jordan was considered a muddy river. Naaman asked, in effect, can I simply wash in one of my own rivers, which are better than all the waters in Israel? And then he stormed off from the prophet in rage. How dare him not answer the door? How dare the prophet not come to the door when I show up? And how dare him ask me to go dip in a muddy river when there's better rivers to dip in? Stormed off in a rage, and the Word of God, we see here that the Word of God will constantly challenge what we think about ourselves and call us to a place of humility and surrender. The Word of God will, will come into our lives, and it will start breaking down our egos and our pride and what we think we are and what our, our social status that we think we have and how gifted we think we are when the word goes forth. Because that's what the prophet is. He's a symbol of the word. And when the word went forth in the Naaman's life, the first thing he wanted to do was run from the word. How many times have you heard preaching and you wanted to run from the church house? Because sometimes the word don't pull you in. Sometimes it challenges you where you are. And the first thing that I want to do in my pride, in my flesh, is run from the word that the prophet is trying to give. Naaman ran from the call because his status was more important than his deliverance. He ran from the word because he wanted the contentment of where he was. He did want deliverance, but he didn't want to change anything about his ego or his pride. It's key to understand that, that now Naaman will not die from leprosy. He will not die from leprosy because the prophet gave him the word, the solution to the leprosy. Instead, Naaman will die from the pride concealing his leprosy. Naaman won't die from his condition. The word went forth and said there's a way out of your condition. But his pride had to make a decision. Am I going to keep Naaman here? Is Naaman, is Naaman going to allow his pride to keep him at this place? Or is he willing to throw that pride down and step into what God has for him? Listen, if the word of God always agrees with you, you're not reading the right word of God. If it always tells you you're doing right and everything's good and you just got it all together, get you another word because that's not the word of God that I read and that I preach. It's for reproof. It's for correction. It's for direction. It's to strip away the things that don't need to be in my life. How many people are dying from pride and not their conditions? How many people will die lost, not because there's no hope, it's because they don't want to do what God is asking them to do in order to be who God wants them to be? 
I got to make sure that pride is tore down in my life. God has an answer for every battle and struggle, but what destroys many is the pride that keeps it from God. Why? Because the Word never tells us what we want to hear. It tells us what we need to hear. The Word will always challenge you where you are at and how to get you where you need to be. The Word of God will tell you to forgive, to pray for your enemy, to bless those that have wrongfully accused you, to be at church early, to stay late, to spend time in the altar, to get your Word, to build you an altar in your home, to have prayer with your family. The Word of God will ask you for sacrifice and obedience. Sometimes the Word of God will make you uncomfortable, but I've got to adhere to what the Word of God is telling me to do in my life. You know what leprosy is? It's an infection that causes nerve damage. And this nerve damage results in a lack of ability to feel. When we can't feel sympathy or remorse or conviction or the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. Because the Word challenges our flesh to feel what the Spirit is saying. And if I don't get my spirit in alignment eventually, if I don't get my flesh in alignment to the Spirit, eventually I won't be able to feel the Word of God drawing me and pulling me and challenging me of the Spirit of God in my life. And the Word says, Naaman turned away in rage. How dare God not give me the honor that I deserve? How dare God not elevate me and use me the way that I think my social status deserves to be used? I know that I have giftings and ability. Why isn't God promoting me? Why, why isn't God giving me the honor that I deserve? Naaman had a certain expectation about, about God and how God should work in his life. And when God didn't work the way that he wanted him to work, Naaman got angry with God. However, God will always humble us before he positions us. Watch this. The process is always humbling, positioning, and then healing. You can't get to positioning and healing until you get to humbling. Naaman didn't like how Elisha expected a humble response from the respected and honored general. And the truth is what Elisha offended was Naaman's pride. And one way or another, our pride will always be offended by God's work no matter, no matter what season of life we're in. One of my favorite Bible verses in the Bible is found in three places, James 4 and 6, 1 Peter 5 and 5, and Proverbs 3 and 34. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As long as Naaman stayed in his pride, he would not and could not receive what God wanted to give him. Eventually, Naaman gave in, obeyed Elisha, and dipped himself in the muddy Jordan seven times. Then, to his astonishment, his skin was restored. His calling was restored. His purpose was restored. His feeling was restored. Now he can feel again. He can, he can feel conviction. When he hurts the heart of God, it hurts his heart. And, and, and when a word goes forth that brings conviction, he receives it. He doesn't resist it. And I can tell you what God spoke to me about this service tonight, that God wants to restore somebody somebody's conviction back into their life and somebody's spiritual feeling you gotta you gotta shake yourself if the enemy's got you numb to what God's trying to do in your life you've got to tell God I've got to build an altar and I've got to humble myself before you God because I want to feel you God Damon had been cured but he had also been humbled and when you read chapter 5, you'll notice that when he spoke to Elisha, he referred to himself as a servant. He ran the first time 
the word went forth away from Elisha. But when he comes back, he comes to Elisha and says, I'm your servant. He went from leaving in a rage to now returning with thankfulness. Let us never lose an attitude of thankfulness. The widest river in the world is not the Mississippi, the Amazon, or the Nile. The widest river on earth is a body of water called If Only. If Only. And crowds of people stand on its banks and they cast longing eyes over the waters. They long to cross but can't seem to find the ferry. They are convinced the if only river separates them from the good life. If only I had their gifting, their life, their story, their money. If only I had done this a little bit earlier. If only I just had an opportunity. If only, the if only river. I want to drain the if only river at the river on this Wednesday night. And you know how we're gonna, you know how we're gonna drain it? We're gonna stop saying if only, and we're gonna say, thank you, God, for where I am and what I have. I can't go back in the past. I can't turn around. I don't have everybody else's gifting. But thank you for what you bless me with, God. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you, God. If only, if only, if only, if only, well, if only I'd have done this, if only I would have done that. No, you've got to get to a place to where you're thanking God now. The good life begins not when circumstances change, but when our attitude toward them does. The good life begins not when my circumstances change, but when I start looking through a different window than what I've been looking through. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul embedded two essential words into the verse that deserves special attention with thanksgiving, sprinkled among the phrases of help me, please give me, won't you show me, are two wonderful words, thank you. In, mi in the midst of all of that, help me, please give me, won't you show me, there's two words embedded in the middle of all that, thank you, God. You may not give me all the answers that I want, but thank you. Gratitude is a mindful awareness of the benefits of life. It is the greatest of virtues. Studies have linked the emotion with a variety of positive effects. Grateful people tend to be more empathetic and forgiving to others. You can tell when somebody's grateful, too. Think about an attitude of thanksgiving. They're just exuding. They're excited. They're thankful. They're praying for people. They're loving on people because they're thankful. Grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, materialism, and self-comparison. Thankfulness improves self-esteem, enhances relationships, quality of sleep, and longevity. If it came in pill form, gratitude would be deemed the miracle cure. Gratitude leads us off the riverbank of if only. And escorts us into the fertile valley of already. The anxious heart says, Lord, if only I had this, that, or the other, I'd be okay. But the grateful heart says, oh, look, you've already given me enough, God. I thank you, God. If you never give me anything else, I thank you. God, if you never used me like you used me back then, I thank you for using me, God. I just want to give you honor and glory and thanks. God, I don't want to worry and fret. I want to be thankful, God. I could tell you, you want to get to my heart? Just say thank you. My kids, I'll get them anything. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. What you want, buddy? A brand new PlayStation 5? You said thank you. I'm going to go get it right now. Get on eBay and order that thing. You know what? Worry refuses to share the heart with gratitude. One heartful thank you will suck the oxygen out of the worry's world. 
out of worry's world. So say it often, focus more on what you do have and less on what you don't. The Apostle Paul modeled this outlook, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You and I can learn the same thing. If we're not, not going to become ineffective, we've got to learn how to be thankful. And if we have a Christ-based contentment, we'll become strong people because nobody can take Christ from me. Can death take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than our sin. Can betrayal take our joy? No, Jesus will never leave us. Can sickness take our joy? No, God has promised uh, whether on this side of the grave or the other, he's going to heal us. Can disappointment take our joy? No, because Though our plans may not work out, we know God's plan always will. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take my Christ-centered contentment in my life. When I don't have anything else, I got Jesus. When everything's falling apart, I've got Jesus. When I don't get my way, I've got Jesus. Because here it is trying to hurry what you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life what we have in Christ is greater than anything we don't have in life you have a God who is crazy about you think about that the forces of heaven he sends them to monitor and protect you you have the living presence of Jesus within you. In Christ, you have everything. He can give you a happiness that can never be taken, a grace that will never expire, and a wisdom that will never be equaled. He is a fountain of living hope that will never be exhausted. We need our world to be baptized with an attitude of just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Naaman went from a fit of rage to thankfulness. It amazes me. He went from angry, mad to thankful. Hey, I'm thankful I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm positioned, I'm healed. Thankfulness is the antidote for ineffectiveness. The scripture says this, 2 Kings 5.15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and he stood before him and he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth. This God, this God that you serve, Elisha, there's, there's nobody like him. This is him. This is he. He is Jehovah. He is the I am that I am. There is nobody like him in all of Israel. This is him. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing from me. Now, you got to understand, Naaman's a new convert. He's ready to bombard hell with a water pistol. He's going after everybody. Naaman is telling everybody that he comes in contact with, you just don't know like I know what he's done for me. He's excited about the word. He can't wait to hear the word of God preached. He's excited about the kingdom. He loves the sound of worship and the gathering together of God's people. He'll pray for anyone. Naaman doesn't judge anybody. If they're praying, Naaman is there because God has done something in Naaman's life that nobody else could do. He had leprosy. There was no cure but when God showed up and there was a word from a prophet God did something that nobody else his worship is unorthodox now Naaman Naaman shows up he got mud on his head from the Jordan River he don't look like everybody else 
he shouts a little different and runs a little different and talks a little different. Naaman, Naaman is a little different. He's a new convert. Naaman just got converted to this, but he just believes anything is possible. When he comes to church, there's no doubt. There's, he's not angry. He's not mad. He don't have church hurt yet. Nobody hurt him in the church, so he's not carrying around bitterness. He's come for one reason. When Naaman comes to church, he comes to get a word. Naaman said, I ran from it, but now I've responded to it, and I've seen what it does in my life. Naaman says, I I've got to have a word. The preacher may ramble for 30 minutes, but somewhere in there I'm going to get a word. Naaman goes up to, he goes up to Elisha. He says, look, I'm going to bring some mud back with me because when I get home, I want to build an altar from this mud. Naaman is so excited about what God has done in his life that he wants to go home and build an altar. Listen, you, you got to see this because I'm about to show you the parallel. Naaman Wants to build altars in his home. Naaman wants to go to church. Naaman wants to pray. Naaman wants to lay hands on everybody. Naaman wants a word to go forth to get in his spirit. Naaman can't wait till the church doors are open. Naaman, Naaman is just excited about the kingdom of God. He goes out to Bass Pro and he's telling everybody, you don't know, I used to have leprosy, but here I am. My pride is no longer holding my leprosy captive. I've been healed. I, I've been, have you heard of the God of Israel? Have you heard of the God of Elisha? Have you heard about, the, you ought to hear the prophet preach. You to hear Elisha give a word. But we witness, we witness a parallel in this chapter. We, we witness this, this name and conversion and this healing. And then you witness Gehazi, the seasoned follower of the prophet. Gehazi is the servant of Elisha. He'd been around the church a long time. Matter of fact, he probably slept under a few pews in his lifetime. Naaman's been there for a minute. I mean, Gehazi, I'm sorry, has been there for a minute. Naaman's a new convert. Gehazi is a seasoned follower. And the old convert, he's been around for a while. He's heard the prophet preach a ton of messages. He's witnessed the supernatural. It was exciting at first, man, when the prophet preached at first. Boy, it was powerful. Man, what a word by the prophet. But my Lord, I've been heard the prophet preach for 30 years. I'm tired of hearing the prophet preach. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. I'm just, I'm a servant. Oh, they got, they got healed. They got their eyesight back. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's good, man. High five. Dap it up. God's good all the time. They, they was an addict, and they're not an addict. Oh, man, that's great. That's great. That's great. That's great. Proud of you. Good job. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Gehazi is asking Elisha, hey, look, how early do you want me to really be there for service? Can I be 10 minutes, 30 minutes late? You know, is it okay? Is it okay if I sit in the foyer while the word goes forth? Is it okay? I mean, what's, do I really got to give tithing and offering stuff? I mean, what's, what's, really got to worship? Do we really got to raise our hands? Has it got to be one of those? So do we really, listen, pastor, do we really got to have an altar call today? Because, man, I'm ready to go. We, we, we've been here for a minute. What, 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 are, what, are, what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, look, they got, they got delivered and saved. Yay, yippee for them. You got one man going home and building an altar. And you got another one who used to have an altar. But when you walk into his room, it's falling apart. It hasn't been visited in a while. You got one who can't get enough of the supernatural. You got one who just wants a little bit more every day. 
for the kingdom of God. But then you got the old convert that's been around it for a while. And we witness the deterioration of faith and desire and zeal. We witness the reality that overconsumption always leads to underappreciation. Because when is too good, too good. <laughs> when is too comfortable, too comfortable. I guarantee you, if we cut the air conditioner off in here for the next one month, the next month we cut the AC off, didn't pay the bills, there was no lights, but we gathered here, somebody would be begging for AC in here. But when's the last time we just said, God, thank you for a building with air conditioning. Thank you for some padded chairs, God. Thank you for a sound system. Thank you for the leadership, God. Thank you for the members. Thank you for the church body. Thank you for the word, God. Thank you. But overconsumption always leads to underappreciation. And why long for something we can so freely always have? If I can be honest, we take this for granted because the foundation is being laid for tolerance and pluralism. Where people will no longer gather to worship together, pray for one another, and enjoy the atmosphere of church. Instead, from the comfort of their homes, they will ease their conscience, check God off their to-do list, and live their lives pursuing the vanity of this world. Gehazi is no longer moved by the presence of God and by the words of Elisha. He's just there, serving with no spirituality, no prayer life, and no conviction. Gehazi doesn't even read the law anymore. I mean, he's, he's done. He's been around it too long. It's, 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 it's old to him. So Elisha refused to take anything from Naaman. Naaman comes to Elisha and says, look, I want to bless you for, for this. And Elisha said, no, nah, I'm not going to prostitute my gifting for personal gain. Elisha said, I'm not after the wealth of you, Naaman. But there was a carnal Gehazi hiding behind a title looking for a blessing, but not the blesser. And Naaman drives his chariot just a little ways from the door of the house of Elisha. He is less than a mile away when he stops to weep and reflect upon the events of the past few days. To think about what just happened in his life. And that's when a carnal Gehazi takes advantage of someone who just had an experience with God. 2 Kings 5 and 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. In Gehazi, we see the heart of a hireling. He's only in ministry for his own personal gain. He could not believe that Elisha would allow this Syrian spy to leave, having received his healing and deliverance without giving something in return. Gehazi could not or would not understand the concept of ministry. Real ministry is giving without expecting anything in return. That's what real ministry is. Real ministry is about gratitude and respect to everybody around. Real ministry expects no reward from men but from God. Gehazi liked the idea of being called a student of the prophet of God. And he loved living around the holiness and the presence of God. But his heart was after the things of the world. And we read in 2 Kings 5, 21 through 22. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, is it all well? He said, it's all well. My servant, my master has sent me, saying, behold, even now there 
Ye come to me from Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Now Gehazi is bringing people with him. 2 Kings 5 and 23, and Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bore them before him. Verse 24, and when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. Second Kings 5 and 25, but he went in, and he stood before Elisha. And Elisha said unto him, whence cometh thou, Gehazi? Where have you been? What have you been doing? And Gehazi said, thy servant went no, no whither. That's what I'm going to tell my wife. Where have you been? No whither. <laughs> I hadn't been at the dollar store buying all them snacks. No, no whither. You got one man in Naaman that ran from the word of God, dealt with his pride, and came running back, dipped seven times in the muddy Jordan. God is healing and is excited. But you got Gehazi, somebody that had already experienced God, the presence of God, the words of the prophet. And now here he is back in the presence of the prophet, but he's lying to the prophet about where he's been and where his heart is. Don't you hate it when the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, where you been? What you been doing? You ever get that dreadful feeling when the preacher starts preaching? And you're like, how does he know? Does somebody tell him? And you look at the per only person you told in the church. You look across the aisle. You told him, didn't you? I've had people come up to me after I preached the message and say, hey, do you have cameras in my home? Did you, did you? Are you recording our conversations? What's going on? No, because the Holy Spirit always reveals to the prophet what needs to be said to the church body. The Holy Ghost also within you will start taking you to places and convicting you and telling you, hey, look, you got to deal with this in your life now. And if you don't deal with it, go get you a baby elephant and bring it in your house through the front door. Let it live there for two years. You're not getting it out through the front door. You know where you got to get it out? You got to take the roof off, the walls down. It's going to rearrange your whole house because small foxes still spoil the vine. Little seeds that we allow to remain in our life that the Holy Spirit is telling us to get rid of. The little things we know. We know we're not praying and we should be. We know we should be in the Word of God. We, we, know, we, we know we should be more faithful. But here we are. We've got all this pride and all these things pressing against us. And you've got the spirit of the Antichrist. And you've got all this going on with this global pandemic. And, and all of this is fighting against me. And before I know it, I've got spiritual leprosy. I can't even feel God anymore. I'm not even excited about getting to the house of God. But we dismiss the question quick. And then we start saying things like, well, it is what it is. And then we start justifying, well, I'm really innocent. I really didn't do anything. Really? 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 That's my favorite thing is when people start pointing fingers at everybody else for their own condition. At some point, you got to do self-inventory. It can't be everybody else's responsibility. And we start screening our innocence before we ever are even proven guilty because we've already condemned ourselves in our own hearts. So we fight with everybody around us because we feel like we need to shout our innocence when deeply within our heart we know we're guilty. 
Elisha called him out. He says, Gehazi, I know, buddy. I know what you've been doing. I know where you've been. I know what's going on. How do you think you could get away with it, Gehazi? You're close to me. You're a part of this. You've been with me every step of the way, Gehazi. What happened? I can tell you what happened. Satan has a very powerful weapon in his arsenal. You know what it's called? Deception. Deception. Making us focus on things that really don't matter. Giving up the eternal for the temporary. Deceiving us to believe that the church. I know there's a thousand people that I know. Well, there ain't that many. I don't know that many people. But there's a lot of people that I know that will say I'm not coming to church because there's hypocrites there and I've been hurt and I've been wounded and I've been let down. Can I be honest with everybody here? If you go to any church, you're probably going to get hurt at some point because it's made up of flawed people. I love what Brother Spikes used to say. If you find a perfect church, don't go because you'll mess it all up. Nobody is perfect, but at the end of the day, if I've got an altar and I've got a prayer life and I've got a Bible and I'm in tune with what God's saying, I refuse to allow the enemy to deceive me and make me think that the things God wants to use in my life is against me and not for me. Deception is also believing that no one will ever know. I'm going to give you some biblical revelation. The Bible says it will be shouted from the rooftops. You know what that means? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It goes from rooftop to rooftop. It's shouted. Deception will tell you nobody ever knows. Just hide it in your heart. That pride, that pride, conceal your leprosy. Don't ever do anything about it. Deception and the believing that you can commit sin and get away with it just because God doesn't judge quickly. Can I tell you, leprosy doesn't kill you quickly. It's the progression of ineffectiveness. It's little by little by little by little. When you get to 2 Kings 5 and 27. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto you, Gehazi. (laughs) Not only to you, Gehazi, but it's going to be on your seed forever. And he went from his presence a leper white as snow. Because of the progression. Let me ask you a question. When he rallied those people to come help him to get those rewards from Naaman, if he would have called himself and said, I can't do it, God's got too much in store for me, you think God would have put the leprosy of Naaman on him? No. If he would have even received the gifts and then got down the road and said, you know what? I know, I know I should not be doing this. I know, I know, I know. Let me go give it back to Naaman. Instead, in his mind, Gehazi is saying, I know I shouldn't do it, but boys, come help me. I'm going to take you down with me. Naaman, my master, sent me here. In his mind, conviction is telling him, don't do it, Gehazi. Don't do it. You got it too good. God's been too good to you. You're a servant to the prophet. You've got the word of God in your life. You've been delivered and set free. Don't do it. 
closed on the prize. And Hazai conceals conviction. He says, I don't want to feel it today. I deserve this. I've been serving the prophet. I deserve this blessing. I deserve this gifting. And now he's before the prophet and it's too late and the word goes forth. I still believe, guys, I, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm biblically correct. Brother Ralph, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that even at this moment, if Naaman would have fell on his knees, I'm sorry, Gehazi would have fell on his knees and said, I'm sorry, Elisha. God, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And I believe God would have took that leprosy from him. That's just what I believe because God's that graceful and gracious and merciful. But Gehazi lived from that point on as a leper. He was relegated to living in leper colonies and caves and dens of the earth, slowly and painfully dying as his body rotted away in the stench and the filth of his leprosy. There is no record that I can find that Gehazi ever got it right. There's no record that I can find Hazi got it right. Do you know what gets me the most is he was next in line for the mantle. The same mantle that Elijah had that he gave to Elisha, Gehazi was next in line. If, if Elisha got a double portion, could it be possible that Gehazi would have had a triple portion of God's anointing? But the casualness of his service, the negligence, the negligence of the Word of God, the prophet preached. Gehazi was Elisha's protege. Should have been next in line to carry on the ministry, but instead of chasing God's calling and His glory, he chased after Naaman's gold. Because he did God's work for his own reasons, he became a leper and useless in the kingdom of God. Sometimes I fear that our generation will become the Gehazi generation. More interested in favors from God than the favor of God. Losing our desire to chase after God in the chase for glory and gold. Pursuing God's gift more than we pursue His glory. But it doesn't have to be this way. We're not consigned to this fate. We can be used greatly by God if we embrace and grasp unto this truth. There is no greater gift and reward for our ministry than God himself. There's no, there's no greater. There's no greater. I've been a part of this apostolic movement for a long time. And I've seen many, Brother Ralph, make it more, more about certain men who can preach the word or certain atmospheres. But let me ask you a question. When is it, I listened to a message this week called The Preeminent Jesus. When do we remove everything out of our way and it just becomes about us and Jesus? If it's about me and him, then that means every day I visit that altar. And I kneel down. And 
I tell him, God, there's some pride in my heart. There's some things that I'm concealing in my life. But I feel your presence and I hear your word, God, and I love you and I love your kingdom. And I just want to deal with it right now. God, I want to get it out of my life. God, I don't want to become ineffective in the kingdom of God. I, I don't want to get to a place where I show up to the house and I can't feel you anymore and your word doesn't move me and I'm cold and callous to what's going on. Your presence, God. I'm telling y'all, God spoke to me. I've got 71 pages of notes that I'll be teaching over the next few weeks. But God has sent me here tonight to tell somebody you're searching in all the wrong places. What you need is a vision of Jesus. What you need is that passion and that zeal and that desire that Naaman had after, after his deliverance and his healing. What we need is to get back to that place to where I can't get enough of God. I can't get enough of his presence. I can't get enough of his word. I, I'm excited about his kingdom. I, I'm excited about his, his ways and his benefits and I'm excited about it. So every day take a trip because how long how long is it going to be before we can't gather in a building preacher we're always going to gather yeah we will but it might be underground one day and I can tell you if I'm ineffective and I'm not thankful and I'm not grateful and my heart isn't right and my spirit is wrong and there's pride in my life then guess what little by little whoo, I feel it in the Holy Ghost I'm telling you Little by little, the enemy's sifting you, ma'am or sir. And you're at a place. You're at a place that Gehazi was at. There's got to be a decision that's got to be made. You've got to turn it around. You've got to give it to God. You've got to start mending and healing. I'm in the prophetic right now. I'm prophesying to somebody. I'm in a whole other spiritual realm right now talking to somebody. There's some things that you got to let go of and you got to completely surrender to God. God's not done with you yet. He's not through with you. It's not over. But if you continue the progression that you're on, there's going to come a time when you're going to be ineffective in the kingdom of God. You know what keeps me up at night? Is the Bible says Esau sought a place of repentance and he never found one. When does God pull back because we're not thankful for what he's given us? When? 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 It's the progression. But here's why I'm here today is I'm here to warn somebody you've got to get out of that. And I'm also here to tell somebody you've got to guard against it. Because gold loses its shine when it's no longer polished. That's why every altar call I'm polishing my life to be used for the King of Kings and the Lord of Kings. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Yeah, yeah. Let's get water.